Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. How do you know where he's going to be two seconds from now, sir? You don't throw the ball where the receiver is. You throw where he's going to be. I'll lead him by a crosshair. One Minnesota, two Minnesota. Isn't it supposed to be Mississippi, sir? I'm from St. Paul. Lead him by another half. We are cleared hot. Master arm on. Weapons hot. Three, two, one. This episode of Radio Motherboard contains spoilers for Good Kill a new movie about drone warfare. If you haven't seen the movie and care about such things, please come back next week. The movie has its problems, which we definitely get into, but overall it's worth seeing for being the first mainstream movie to take a look at the psychological toll drone pilots face and the overall weirdness of fighting a war from half a world away. Hey, welcome back to Radio Motherboard. I'm staff writer Jason Kebler, and I'm joined today with our supervising producer, Chris O'Coin. Yo! And our editor-at-large, Alex Pasternak. Hey there. And today we are going to be talking about drones and drone warfare and how they're portrayed in popular culture. Um, Alex just spoke with Ethan Hawke and... Andrew Nichol, the director of Good Kill, which is a new movie... It's about to come out. Um, it tells the story of a drone pilot who operates a drone from Las Vegas, where um, in real life, drones are flown from. And uh, it's, it sort of documents the life of a, of a person who's killing people who are thousands of miles away um, on a screen. And it's in many ways the first film to do that. 
um, first Hollywood film that I've seen that, that talks about this issue. Right. He basically goes to work every day, sits in a trailer for 12 hours, stares at a screen, follows orders, kills people, and then goes home to his wife and kids. And in that sense, it's very much like all these other um, military PTSD-type movies where um, you know he has two kids, he has a wife, he's an alcoholic, um, and he's kind of driven to do this stuff because he's forced to do things he doesn't want to which in this case is kill people who th- he thinks maybe don't deserve it. You know, he like attacks a picnic or a funeral and um, that sort of thing. So it is, it's a very heavy handed movie, I'd say, Alex. Yeah, he spends a lot of time sitting in front of a computer screen, which um, adds to the sense of tedium that I think is part of flying a drone. Um, but there's also a lot of talk in the um in the cockpit, this container essentially that is mobile and uh, from which drone pilots operate these things. Um, pilots basically in the film are talking about their kills and discussing the moral implications, um, which, yeah, makes the film kind of feel like in some parts like a lecture about the morality around drones. Um, and uh, of course, maybe reflects reality, which is to say there's not a whole lot of action for these people. They're basically just sitting there playing what looks like a video game. Right. And I think I think it's an important movie in that sense because it does tell that very real story. Last uh, fall, I went out to Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota where they fly uh, Reaper drones, which... It, they are not, they're not armed, but they're the surveillance drones that fly all over the Middle East. And I spoke to some of these drone pilots, and they're all children. They're all like 19, 20, 21. And they do this every day. They go sit in a trailer. They fly for 12 hours. They don't know where they're going to fly until someone tells them where they're going to fly. Um, and then they go home, and they go to Outback Steakhouse, and they are amongst regular people. They go to Walmart and, like, People are jerks to them in the parking lot, and then they go home and are expected to be normal. And that's very much what this movie is about. It's about what happens when you go to war every single day, and then you go back to like your regular life. Mm-hmm. Did they seem normal to you? Well, I interviewed them on an Air Force base, like standing in front of one of their drones. Which this drone is huge. Like it's not the size of a seven forty seven, but it's maybe like half that size and it takes up this massive hangar and i i kind of asked them i was like do you when you fly this do you worry about you know crashing it because it feels like a video game it doesn't matter and they're like it's drilled into our heads that this is a very very expensive piece of equipment and um you know the people on the ground that they're supporting are in a really dangerous situation often because this is generally used for, like, ground support. So there are, like, troops on the ground, like, looking for IEDs and, and things of that nature. Right. So they say it feels very real to them and not like a video game. But they all the best pilots loved video games growing up. And all the best pilots said that playing video games was helpful for this. But they think that it's kind of different. Do they still play video games? Do you know? Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask them that, unfortunately. I think everybody in the military plays Call of Duty. Yeah, that's is that a generalization? True. It seems like it's true. Based, I think on it might my, be a requirement. My friends that are veterans, I mean, have just said that like they, that's what they did, like yeah. during their tours. But um, 
my uh, my question was, do you think it's just part of what's being drilled into their head by the top military brass that's like, do not tell people that it feels like a video game. Like, tell people that, it, that like, you need to respect the equipment. But how could you not? Yeah. I guess is my question. So I spoke to Ethan Hawke and the director, Andrew Nichol, and um, they did some interviews with drone pilots when they were researching the film um, and said, essentially, that... You know these these pilots do describe it like a video game, um, but at the same time they recognize that uh, they do help soldiers on the ground when they need air support, and um, I think even uh, I think Ethan Hawke said that you know drones have ended up saving a lot of lives because of the precision quote unquote precision of their their weapons. I think one thing that concerns me is sort of the dissonance within the uh the the brains of drone pilots between sort of seeing something on a screen and knowing at the same time that uh you're looking at reality that on one level it does feel like a video game on another level you know that this is real and how do you sort of balance those two things in your head and then how do you deal with the implications afterwards i think that's kind of like a new um mental state that military um, personnel haven't really encountered before. PTSD a lot of the time seems to be about fear, it seems to be about being attacked. Um, in these cases, these pilots aren't being attacked at all. They're like basically invisible to the enemy. Right, and that's why I think that this film is important even if it's not particularly good and it's not really a fun watch and it doesn't... You didn't like it. I didn't like it very much. It's it's overly long. It's You said it feels like a lecture and I mean, at the end of the day, this is a Hollywood... It's like kind of a, a indie budget film, but it's also a Hollywood production starring Ethan Hawke and it's not very entertaining and it's very heavy-handed. Um, yeah, I think it has a lot of work to do as a movie because it's trying to describe... Um, a story that up until now hasn't been told in Hollywood movies. And I think for many people um, is a story that remains obscure. Um, that is to say, like, how these drones work, what happens behind the scenes, what they're doing. So I, I think that, you know, deciding to make the movie was like a, a huge risk. Um, I think it's probably a worthy venture just given the discussion that it might it might encourage. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was... Um, a bit tedious, and there was a lot of moralizing. Um, I thought also I had questions about accuracy, too. Um, I don't know what, what your what impression was. What didn't ring true for you? Because there, there was a, certainly a few things that were like, I, I don't know, I'm not sure if I buy this. Judging I mean, I from the reporting I've done on this subject, not from like the, oh, I don't think this could possibly be true. I'm going to throw in a spoiler alert here, too, maybe. Is that accurate? I mean, this. sorry, I, I, this whole thing has spoilers in it. I, I should have said that earlier, but we never really do spoiler alerts on this podcast, so sorry. Anyways. People do die from drone strikes in this movie. It's true. Yes. Um, That's a bold decision from the filmmakers. I know, I know. Another bold decision, um, and one that I think you know, relates to the question of um, accuracy, is uh, a lot of the shots are shots from above of towns in Pakistan, presumably, um, or Afghanistan. And uh, 
the quality of the video is so good. You know, like Jason said, like uh, you report on this stuff and your sense of, of what actually happens behind the scenes is, um, is a little obscured because it's secret. Um, but my sense is that like the video quality that drone pilots have isn't that good. And in the movie, it's really good. Like it's super high quality video that they're looking at while they're watching these people from 20,000 feet. Um, I asked the director about it. He said that it was accurate and that they actually had to make it look a little less realistic um, in order to, they had to make the video look a little less um, high definition in order to make it look more real. I guess my question is, and I, I remember you telling me about this after you had the conversation with him, and um, we go through a lot of drone footage for the documentaries we produce, but the bulk of it is from like a few years ago, right. and the quality is always shitty, and it's also redacted in various places. There's uh, bars over like anything that like would show you the geolocation of the drone. Sure. Um, so when I saw the trailer, I called bullshit too because I was like, drone cameras do not look like that. Like they do, they're not that stable. They're not, the resolution is nowhere near that. Um, and then I thought, you told me that and I was like, oh, well maybe that's true. Maybe the cameras have gotten better. They cer- cameras in general have certainly improved in the last few years, like since the closing days of like the Iraq war and stuff like that. Um, but then I, all the recent drone footage I've seen that the DOD puts out is uh, strikes on ISIS, and it's just as bad. Right. So that, it makes you wonder. Well, the real problem with that is if that's the case, if drone footage does look that shitty, it's one just like an aesthetic match. Like it's it's annoying that that they that it looks so much different. But what's really problematic about that is that they're putting that out into the universe, and mm-hmm. I I've been made like very aware of how people see shit like that and they go like that's what that's what those are mm-hmm. like that's what drones can see and mm-hmm. so they form all their political opinions and stuff based on misconceptions movies yeah. and it's like we were talking about before we started rolling in the new Fur- fast and the furious movie which i saw last night and is fantastic because it doesn't care how stupid it is there's a drone in it that is has rocket engines and is at least semi-autonomous which sort of doesn't exist yet as we've covered in the past and has a gatling gun on it and uh, an unlimited supply of missiles <laughs> it's launched from a helicopter as well also i need to cut in <laughs> right here and correct something from earlier i'm like kicking myself right now but i said i met with some reaper pilots which is just a different name for the predator i didn't meet with reaper pilots I met with global hawk pilots which is before someone calls me out i just want to say that that's who I met Attention with. to detail. No, I was, was going to ask because you said it was right. huge and the Global Hawk is that giant surveillance. Yeah. Surveillance, right? Yeah, it's a surveillance one and it has a bunch of uh, like airtime records. Like these can stay up in the air for like 24 hours or, or longer in some cases. We are really huge drone nerds. Yeah. Well, you got to cover it. You're going to know right. it. But I think it, you know, it relates again to the question of how do you, how do you, make a movie that is true to life about a project that is for all intents and purposes hidden from the public that is secret i mean again it's like the central challenge that these filmmakers had was to do that and uh it's also a big you know it's obviously uh a pretty big political challenge and and as the director told me this movie from the beginning was never going to be financed in dollars it was it was financed in euros because getting a movie made like this in America um, isn't so easy. Should we pause here and uh, cut to that conversation? Let's just kind of 
hear yeah. from Ethan Hawke and the director to see, you know, Alex did a very nice interview with them. So let's cut to that. Radio Motherboard is brought to you by Casper. It's one perfect mattress made in the USA with free shipping, free returns, and 100 nights to try it in your own home. It's a radical new idea. Actually sleep on a mattress to decide if you love it. Check it out at casper.com. You can use code VICE for $50 off any new mattress. How did you decide to make this movie to begin with? Like, what was the moment where you said, this has to be a there, film? There wasn't a moment. There were moments. Mm -hmm. You know, it was sort of a culmination. I'd see, you know, like see reports in the media, drone strike, drone strike, drone strike. And you see a big crater in the ground. Uh, how does that, I always wondered, how does that happen? Who the hell is pushing the button? Where are they? And when you find out that one of them you know, major bases is outside Las Vegas. Uh, then it's more fascinating. Then you find out that there are characters like Ethan's character who do this. They were ex-fighter pilots. They were dragged out of their cockpit, stuck in a box, and they do this 12 hours a day and then go and pick up the kids from soccer. And what is it doing to guys like that? And it's... it's we can't really predict because we, it's a very new type of warfare and so we, uh, there's so many ramifications that go on with this character. That he's going to war at home. Mm -hmm. He's got in his mind that he is this, you know, fighter jock. Uh, but he's stuck in a box, he's in an armchair. Mm. You know, and so he feels like a coward picking off these guys and so there's all of that. And, and then they were going to you know, they're going to issue a medal for drone pilots, and they mm -hmm. announced it, and there was a huge outcry. People said, no, no, medals are for valor and courage, and they, so they rescinded it. Mm -hmm. And so how did that make his character feel? Okay, well, we're going to get a medal. No, we're not going to get a medal. You know, it's, we're not, we're worthless. You know, it's so, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or worthless. So on one side, you've got, for a character like yours, Ethan, this crisis of of morality um, and and responsibility, but on the other side, this question of valor and courage. You know, you're 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 doing something that is is really uh, morally questionable, maybe. And at the other hand, maybe you're a second tier citizen within the military mm -hmm. because you're not doing the flying that you used to do. What was it? I mean, what was it like? And I was learning about this kind of character. Well, I, I found that. One of the most interesting aspects of the character is that not that he's having these kind of moral crisis about the war in general or something like that. He's he's grieving uh, for the Air Force. I mean, he's grieving for aviation. He's grieving for his identity and his self-worth. It's difficult to fly an F-16. You know, it's extremely... You have a lot of pride if you can do that well. You, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of self-respect. and. When that gets taken away and you, you're watching the whole thing you dedicated your life for stop, it's the equivalent of being told, well, actually, we're going to do, you know, movies can start. You know, I've, I've often thought about this. What would happen when, soon it'll happen that there'll be a new movie starring Steve McQueen, right? The computer will generate a, a, a new Steve McQueen performance, a new Marilyn Monroe performance, and there'll just be less and less parts for, you know, schmucks like me. <laughs> and how will that feel? And... I think uh, there'll be more parts for you. 
Yeah, you think so. You, you know, but you don't have to leave the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they can just they can mock it up themselves. <laughs> but it's interesting kind of depression that unfolds because even if, let's say, you don't like the ethics of one particular soldier or whatever, there, there's always when you have the courage of your own convictions, when you're willing to put your life on the line for your beliefs, when you put your money where your mouth is, there's a certain dignity in that no matter what you're doing, it's some kind of uh, something... Uh, admirable in that and what guys like Major Tommy Egan are getting robbed of that and as a performer that's an extremely interesting thing because this is a new place a soldier is finding themselves. How did you research that? How did you learn about that that state of mind? Well Andrew is really my primary tool you know I mean, mm -hmm. his writing is so meticulous and so good that acting is easy when the the DNA of the characters in place it's mm -hmm. very difficult when the DNA is off and you're Mm -hmm. trying to navigate that but um, Andrew's very good about that and he brought in drone pilots for us to meet and talk to and uh, f so we could feel authentic in, in mm -hmm. that way and that the soul for the movie would smell authentic mm -hmm. I mean, it was fascinating the first movie we did together Gattaca was such a design heavy movie I mean you know we had this amazing production designer and there was all this all this work went into the design and and with this it was like no design it's, all we had to do that was, was the design philosophy, actually. Yeah. No design. We right. had to look exactly the way the military have it. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting enough. You know, that's, it's so dystopian. It, 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 if you were to show this movie to somebody 10 years ago, it would feel like Philip K. Dick wrote it. Right. You, you know? and, um, and yet here we are, it's a period piece. And people are actually living in it. Mm -hmm. And what, what is the state of mind of these people? I mean, just based on what you've heard from them. I love the thing people love to, they, 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 people love to think about like a video game war. And I remember asking guys, so is it like a video game? And he had this kind of look in his eyes. It's like the most boring video game in the history of the world. It's like, imagine waiting, playing a game seven months before something happened for 40 seconds and you need to write a 40-page report about that seven seconds. And he's like, it's just, and, and it's very strange. It is like a video game. It's just the most boring one ever. And you're, and you're waiting for a lot of time and you're yeah. watching. Mm -hmm. for a, lot, yeah. a lot of watching. Yeah. And also you're kind of somehow falling in love with the people who are your targets. The guy, you know, the guy who, you know, you're, you're targeting you know, you call him a bad guy, but he might be a good dad. You know, you see him playing soccer with his kid. You're, you're waiting for mm -hmm. just the right moment or the right order to take him out. But you're actually sort of learning a lot about yeah. him. Right. Did you, yeah, go for it. You get to meet his wife and see his family and see the dynamic in the house and all this. And, and which is very different than what my grandfather was asked to do, which is to fly over Germany and right. drop some bombs and try to get out before they shoot you down. Right. You know. And there's no one even shooting at this mm -hmm. drone. They can't see it. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. A completely bizarre uh, mental state that must I, put you in. I love this. I mean, I don't love it, but it's a fascinating thing to think about. That kids over there start, have started to hate blue skies. You know, uh -huh. they, they like to play in cloudy weather because there's no fear of the drones. Right. Yes, yeah, blue skies, perfect conditions for drones. So you wake up, you see a cloudy day, you say, great. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, blue sky, oh, shit. Right. Did you did you think about doing stuff on the ground? Was any I mean, so much of the movie is from no. Life. I made I made a decision very early on that I would only stay true mm -hmm. to 
you know. The observation of the pilots. Yeah, the God's eye point of view that he had. Right. And then I carried it even through to Vegas where I continued that motif and, and put a, a God's eye point of view on Tommy Egan. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's... Those are great shots. Um, what has been the reaction so far from people who know this program from the inside? I mean, I don't know if they've I seen they, it. They haven't had a chance to react. Okay. okay. Um, I'm not sure there'll ever be an official reaction. Uh -huh. <laughs> what are you hoping that they will get out of it, or what? What are you hoping well, I, the I country hope, in general? Will well, I hope that work. everybody just starts to talk about it, and sort of opens some sort of, you know, discussion and provokes some thought about what's being done in our name. Most of us don't have the tools or the vocabulary to uh, uh, to know much about this. Right. You, you, you know, so it's one of the great values that, that movies or art or anything can, can do is, is to ask these questions. It's not the responsibility of the movie to have an answer. In fact, I, I'm kind of allergic to movies that claim to have an answer. Um, you you know, must as if, love my movies then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I keep being in them. <laughs> the questions are so interesting, and the questions are what are important for the community, the larger community, to think about. And without stories, we don't really have any. Uh, we we can't feel it. We we can't have it. It can't become tactile to us. Right. Um, we don't become intimate with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see a picture of a predator and go, oh, interesting. But you know, I mean, I don't think most. <laughs> A lot of people think Andrew's making up the fact that they're flown from Vegas, you know. I mean, right. uh, um, it's, it is interesting. There's all these issues that come up. I mean, torture is one of them. Surveillance is another one. Things that's that one of the, of the strange Orwellian things about the advantage of the drones. is It's kind of ended the torture debate right. because we don't take anybody prisoner. Right. You know, we can just kill them. Right. It's frictionless. Um, yeah. But it has opened up the assassination debate. Well, although it's not called assassination, targeted killing. Yeah, I mean the debate is hard because it seems like this is these are topics that we know about, and thanks to WikiLeaks, right, and mm -hmm. was a source for you here. Sure, I, I mean I modeled all of my drone strikes on what was disseminated by WikiLeaks, huh. because um, that's the only way to see it. Right, and 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 off also from from people who were yeah, in the program. Could, yeah, they could authenticate it, but you know there's no there's nothing that quite like seeing the video. Um, these are just conversations that, these are topics that we know about, but they're hard to talk about, and we don't, maybe we don't want to think about them they're, or talk about them. They're very difficult to talk to, about. I mean, you know, the left doesn't like it, the right doesn't like it. I remember when you were first cutting the movie, I called you once, so we were on the phone. I said, how is it? And you said, it's a little bit like a desert rose. It's, it's beautiful, but it's hard to touch. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's like a cactus, you know what I mean? You might love it, but you can't hug it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's really mm -hmm. hard. Um, what was the? Did you get a sense from the from the people that you spoke to, and maybe um, you, from your own experiences, that there is a value to this program? That that um, there well, are. I think it's undeniable. Oh, I think it's it's undeniable. I mean, it's the same. It's not. It's not a radically different from the dialogue around Gattaca and, and genetic engineering. I mean, if you can save a child, you know, elephantitis, and you can, you can fix somebody's spine, and you can, I mean, there's amazing things from genetic engineering. There's also huge ethical questions that are brought up. And the surveillance possibilities of the drones, of the, the ability for wounded warriors to participate, um, for people to really, um, the, the idea that, you know, you know, troops on the ground have need no fear of ambush with the drone following them. Mm -hmm. uh, you can send unmanned aircraft to places 
that you could never go. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, it's a undeniably. I mean, if you want to talk about collateral damage, it's it's the best weapon we've ever had. I mean, compared to Dresden or the bombing of Cambodia, mm. but it does when it makes killing and when it makes warfare so cheap and so easy. And I mean, that's the only thing that ever stopped any war is body bags coming home or. Um, mm. or the expense being too much, and the drones make it incredibly cheap, and no body bags come home. Mm -hmm. So it begins this question of whether or not you're creating a, a kind of Orwellian possibility of perpetual warfare. Because um, all we're doing is kind of shooting off the heads of the dandelions, but are we actually killing the weeds? Are we winning this war by doing that? I, you know, I mean, these are the larger questions. Mm -hmm. what do you think? And it's like old technology, you know. It's, to be to say I'm anti-drone would be to say I'm anti the internet. You know, that's it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And this is just being developed more and more. It's uh, it's just a technology. Really all we're trying to decide, I'm not trying to decide it, but what should... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Be decided is, are we doing it responsibly? Mm -hmm. is, it, is this technology being used wisely? Mm -hmm. And what are the ethics when you can just pick anybody off over the world? I mean, it's... What will happen when everyone has a drone? What would, how is, you know, this is huge, we've just opened a whole new box. Sure. And also, I, you know, I, from your character's point of view, you know, they, they were uh, issuing a, a medal. They were going to issue a medal for drone pilots, and they had to rescind it because there was such an outcry. Right, a question over valor. Right, and exactly. And then what, where are the Chuck Yeagers of the future, and what's the role for them? Mm -hmm. You know, for that great, I mean, the great hero in the American psyche, the pilot, the freedom that represents, the agency that, re I mean, it's an interesting thing about the movie, the, the last kill of the film is, mm -hmm. um, is one, is he's gone rogue and stuff, but it's, it's a human being searching desperately for some sense of agency, mm. some sense of, I want to feel, I want to be a, I want mm -hmm. to feel myself, I want to not be a machine, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and it's not like he finds any ethical high ground. He kind of loses his mind, but he's struggling to be himself. Right. Um, yeah, it's very, it's a very difficult ending. Very difficult ending. Yeah, because it leaves leaves your character in a new realm of ambiguity. But yeah. do you feel like this, in some ways, is a parable for the way that we live with technology in general now, through screens and uh, living, you know, living virtually, interacting with people virtually. Not consciously but yeah. I guess you definitely say it. I wouldn't have said that necessarily while we we're making it but watching it last night and, and being at, we were at the Tribeca Film Festival we walked out to do a Q&A and I would say somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of the audience were filming the Q&A 
you, you know, so we walked down the stage and everybody had their phones over their face, you know, they're filming this thing. And, and I'm, I'm just thinking, well, hey, when are you guys going to watch this? Like, why? But so nobody's actually even here. Like, why didn't we just do this at, I could have done this at home and you could watch it on your phone and we could stream it. I mean, it, it's strange what, I mean, you know, in a strange way. It's just a symptom, I think, this yeah. program. You know, it's yeah. not. It's but, a larger question of where we are and how we're detaching from intimacy on all levels and in what way we're seeding our humanity at all levels. Um, and stop me if I've told you this already, but you know, young drone pilots, you know, they would go home and play video games. And it's impossible to separate yourself. Right, right. And the military uses video games for training, obviously. Right, and that, that as well they should. And I they, mean, you and know, they use sure. the, PlayStation, they based the machinery on PlayStation. Right. Because it works. It's good. It's great. It's very tactile. Perfect. Totally. Yeah, we just made a documentary about um, bomb technicians in the military, and they literally use Xbox controllers mm -hmm. yeah. to control their robots. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. They're effective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've well been de you know, developing these things. Mm -hmm. That what's works best. Um, I was reading about uh, one drone pilot who's been in the, in the media, and he, I guess it was a GQ piece, Brand, Brand, Brand Brandon Bryant, Bryant right? yes. and he talks about I've this. I've spoken to him. Yeah. Well, one of the things that struck me was there's a, a, one of the solutions the Air Force has proposed to dealing with the PTSD that comes about through this is using Siri-like technology, whereby the pilot is able to offload the decision-making to a computer and say, Siri, fire the missile, and so forth. I don't know if you've heard of No, I haven't heard like of that, that but, but I've heard of something similar where um, some of these kids who are, you know, recruited in shopping malls and just basically they're gamers, and they're not, they don't have any military rank. So what they can do is they can uh, fly a drone over its target, laser the target, but the one thing they cannot do, because they have no official military rank, is push the button. Right. So then a military officer comes over and pushes the button. Wow. Are there, are there things that are happening in the military to deal with the kind of problems that, that your character experiences? Um, well, it's, it's an interesting question, but this is what the military is constantly facing, which is that everything's always new. There's always a new set of problems, you know, as soon as... It, it, and also for your character, there's shame. Yeah. You wouldn't want to show up and say I've got PTSD. Oh my God, no! I mean, no. your average Marine would say, "What the hell? You get out of here! You're sitting right. in an armchair." Right. Right. You don't even know about PTSD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it, it kind of needs its own word. It's some its other own category, problem. Yeah. It's some. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's not. It's not the. It's not a feeling of fear. It's a feeling of what moral responsibility. Well, it's an interesting question actually because, you, there are different feelings, but. You, when you look at the history of warfare, it seems that mankind has often, surprisingly, had a much more difficult time shooting another person than being shot at. That, you know, you know you've heard me talk yeah, about this before, but it's, it's a very interesting thing about, like, in the Civil War, when they would clean up after the battlefield, these guys, they would, as they clean up the dead, oftentimes they'd find their rifles loaded 17, 22, 27 times, meaning a guy would stand in the front line. He didn't want to run, right? But he didn't want to kill anybody because he could see them. And he'd just stand there and load his rifle until he was shot. Or the, when the, the constant refrain heard from the commanding officers was shoot straight. Because most of these guys would shoot at the ground or shoot over. Because there's something in us compelling us 
um, towards not hurting others, you, you know, and that has to be over, you know, you have to override that instinct through tr military training. Right. And a lot of those Civil War guys didn't, they really didn't have proper training. Right. And, and so there was, and there was a tremendous amount of PTSD after that because these guys, their minds weren't ready for it. And I know that a lot of these young guys who were over in Baghdad and stuff like that who were coming home, well, these guys are 19 years old. You know, you wouldn't give them the keys to back your car out of your driveway, you know, and they're driving Humvees, right. uh, you know, through the middle of town. And it's, it's very, uh, my point being is that how to define PTSD is really interesting, or it's changing anyway, because these drone pilots are doing the hard part from the human point of view the human point of view of just taking shots, shooting right. at people, right. killing them. And they're being robbed of the part where the integrity comes from, which is putting yourself in harm's way. Mm -hmm. So even though a lot of soldiers look down on the drone pilots, what they're going through, what they're going through might be extremely intense. Right. And they're, they're, not, they're not feeling the, the imminent threat to themselves, which makes it even harder to want to pull the trigger, perhaps. Perhaps, and particularly where self-respect lives. Right. And the other issue, it seems, is that they spend so much time with their targets, surveilling them, mm -hmm. you know, following their patterns, that they get to know them, right? Sure. And here's an interesting question, too, I know from doing different research of different parts and things like that, that the advantage of not pulling the trigger from a drone is if you were to send... You know, our special forces are extremely well-trained. They're very good at what they do. Mm. If you send them in there, you do risk you do risk losing a soldier, but you, there's a lot of advantages to it, which is that, A, you're on the ground. You can tell if you have the wrong house. You can tell if the guy happens to be sleeping with a room full of nuns or there happens to be a wedding going on. You can tell these things. You can make decisions. You can also get the information. You can also see, oh, wait, actually, that is his brother. Let's go get him, we, as opposed to just shooting everybody. And there's a huge advantages uh, to what the special forces are able to do to letting them do it um, from an information point of view. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, um, in the film, the, so I understand, the, the, the screens that you were looking at, mm -hmm. those, were, um, those were blue screens, and then you imposed the images later, is that right? Most uh, of the time, yeah, but I, what I would do is, because I shot uh, a lot of the drone strikes in advance, I could show mm. the cast. We, we would know what we were looking at. Yeah. We just couldn't look at it at the same time. Got it. Yeah. Um, what was, how did you make the decision to make those those images so realistic or so high definition because my my understanding of what it's like is that it's it's not as clear it's grainier that's of course a, i don't know right that's because sure. you you rely as i did on wikileaks uh, and that's gone through so many generations that it's now far more degraded than it ever was when it was originally mm -hmm. there so what i did was i showed former drone pilots what i had shot yeah. And they said, uh, it's not bad. And then I would show, um, I, would, uh, I would show colleagues and they'd say, oh, it's too real. And I would, so I would make what already drone pilots had told me was real, less real. Mm -hmm. So I would, I so degraded little, it. Yeah. I degraded it so it was more plausible for the audience, believe it or not. And I put in more satellite glitches and more compression. Sure, um, sure. So that was a weird thing. Speaking of, of that, uh, the sort of the the accuracy aspect. How do the people in this program actually talk about it in the day to day? I mean, in the in the film, there's a lot of hand wringing. There's a lot of talking about what they're doing. 
Well, is that a kind of conversation that people are having at all? Uh, well, when I when I was discussing it with the drone pilots, they would say, yeah, there are these gung-ho characters, like mm -hmm. there's a character in the film, and there are others who question, so there is, it runs that gamut. It's just like all people, there's all different types. I mean, my experience with the military people that I met is they usually handle all this stuff with a tremendous amount of wit and, you know, you know, it's a question of whether or not to what extent your understanding of the larger picture is. And a lot of the best soldiers that I, I have met, they keep their eye on the long-term goals. That's mm -hmm. what they're always looking at. What are our long-term objectives and how we can be working towards mm -hmm. long-term solutions. And they're usually generally a lot smarter and a lot wittier and, than mm -hmm. given credit for. This is such a challenging film to put in front of the public and, and Hollywood. I wanted to ask you guys, just to wrap up, about your own battlefield and how, <laughs> how, uh, how do you make a film like this today, um, given the climate uh, of Hollywood um, and you know, the, the money that's involved, the, the, the interest? Um. Uh, when I first told a friend of mine what I wanted to, to a story I wanted to tell, um, he said, well, you know, that, Andrew, is going to be financed in euros. <laughs> and it was financed in neurons because it's, you know, it is, uh, we're telling, it is an uncomfortable story we're telling, you mm -hmm. know, and maybe we're too close to it, mm. you know, mm -hmm. in America. Do you feel like, Ethan, that, that this was a, this is a singular movie given what you see well, nowadays? And I think, you know, it, it's not lost on me that one of the great advantages of living in this country is that we have the freedom to speak our mind and tell stories that are mm. um, that that we want to tell, and I, I do think that in my experience since September 11th, there's been a kind of climate that it's there's something uh, wrong with being critical of the government or being critical of the military, and, and yet if we can't be critical, we can't have a, a realistic dialogue. We can't have a real dialogue at all. And there was a kind of nationalistic fervor that understandably happened after there, but it's, it's you know, I always feel like our, our stories as our community represent our, our consciousness and our health, and just like an individual, you know, our health isn't just in our body, it's just in our minds, you know, and the, the stories that we tell and the freedom with which we can express ideas and the freedom with which we can handle criticism and smile and, and have, have a, a healthy dialogue, that's the only way that we as citizens can get educated and have some kind of intimate understanding of what's going on. So I could imagine, you know, I have family members in the military and I have, and I can imagine them thinking that this is overly critical or, but, um, but they're seeing it through the lens of wanting people to love and respect what the military is doing and how hard they're working. Mm -hmm. And obviously we do r respect how hard they're doing. It's just also our job to be critical. Because mm -hmm. um, if you're not critical, you're not being honest and you're not pushing the ball forward. So I, I view it kind of like that. Yeah, it is a really interesting question what responsibility war movies have to telling the truth, especially about a war that is so new, it is right now. It's new, it's one thing to say, well, you gotta wait for it to be over, but when a war goes on this long, you just gotta start, I mean, it, it's the, the, the... Well, one of the questions of the, of the film is, is it ever gonna be over? Yeah. 
You know, I mean, my whole adult life, the first Desert Storm, I was 20 years old. It's been my, my whole adult life. And, you know, I have a son turning 13 and thinking, well, so what's this generation's role going to be in this war? You know, I have, you know, my nieces and nephews and you start watching this going, so is this going to keep going on? And, uh, and what would it take for it to stop? Mm -hmm. Have your children seen it? Mine, no. No, kind of too young. Uh-huh, yeah. okay. But they might be living it in the future. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was thank a lot you. Of fun. Yeah. All right. cool. It is. Thank it's, you. It's a very interesting question. Something happened after 9/11, which is it? There, there used to be movies all the time that were so critical of Oliver Stone and make big swashbuckling anti-government films. Alex, that was a very nice interview. Hey, thanks. How was Ethan Hawke? Was he cool? Yeah, he was he was really friendly. Um, I uh, I got to thank him for Boyhood, which um, I told him I saw with my mom, which was uh, kind of an emotional way of seeing it. Um, Boyhood was so good. So good. It was. Yeah, it's hard to, it's it's hard to like. It, there's there's a lot of shitty movies out there. I guess like Boyhood reminds you of quality yeah. of the importance of like really good stuff and like you know Good Kill. It's hard to like, but Ethan Hawke is still very good in it, and it's an important, nice to see movie. I was gonna say, like, it's it's weird to see Ethan Hawke playing after watching Boyhood, playing such a um, an emotionally pent up character in this movie. He doesn't do a lot of emoting. He doesn't do a lot of talking. Even um, when he does, it's like it's intense, but it's a very restrained role, um, and I think. Again, it reflects the turmoil that's going on inside these people's heads, which is part of the, the story, and I think um, is one that continues to be worth telling. Like, the, what is going on in the in the heads of these people who are fighting these wars, and um, who are dealing with what I think one drone pilot I've read about um, has called a, the sort of moral harm that comes from uh, killing people remotely. We had a, actually, on a recent Motherboard documentary, Inhumankind, we had a drone analyst um, who was very bothered by what he had done uh, in his line of work and has kind of come to grips with it or coming to grips with it or whatever since he's left the military. And he wasn't even flying or dropping um, weapons on people. He was part of the other like apparatus of that whole machine that is like looking at video feeds and saying like there's suspicious activity here like totally. And you know, it's like you don't really even need to have much military experience to do those jobs. From what I've heard, you know, kids get recruited out of arcades and out of recruitment centers based on their acuity with video games. And their job is not to fire the missile, but maybe to shoot the laser that comes before the missile or to look at the footage. And so you have a lot of people who are kind of inexperienced and um, are dealing with what, again, seems virtual, but is actually quite uh, gruesome. Something that I think is really interesting that's happened as a result. I mean, you see Good Kill here and you see there's a new play called Grounded starring Anne Hathaway here in New York City. Oh, yeah. And it's the exact same story, except told from the perspective of like a one woman show um she is a fighter pilot and then she gets pregnant and then she's grounded and then when she can go back to work she's a drone pilot 
and she does horrible, horrible things. Um, and she hates it and she loses her mind and gets, you know, PTSD and doesn't know what to do with her life basically. And that's very, very different. (laughs) No, it's, it's very interesting. It came out approximately the same time. Um, and if you are in New York city, I would suggest seeing grounded because it's a really good show and it's very quick. It's like 60 minutes or something. And, uh, Anne Hathaway actually puts on a very good performance and it's, really well written you say actually like she's not a good actress i just i've heard some people don't like her i like her have we seen les miserables i mean come on no i haven't seen it it. yeah all right anyways (laughs) the interesting thing i think is that we are now seeing pop culture like grounded and good kill whereas one to two years ago we had you know the crow show right and uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but a few years ago, there was talk of giving out medals to a really good drone pilots. Sure. And people freaked the fuck out. Like, no, there was the biggest backlash I've ever seen to, like, an idea to honor people. Um, they basically said, you know, these people aren't war heroes. They are sitting in a trailer in Las Vegas, like, and people who are in active combat, you know, in war zones said that this is offensive and it, this shouldn't happen and they killed the drone metal they didn't right. it, it doesn't exist and i don't know if we'd have that same we probably wouldn't have someone proposing it now because the drone war is very unpopular but i don't think people laugh when you know you see these stories of ptsd and drone pilots anymore um they might not necessarily understand it, but they probably do understand that they are seeing some like really bad things and are being asked to do some things that they may not necessarily want to do. And they're doing it without any of the valor that used to come with maybe being in that position, which, you know, is, right. I mean, they're going home stress. to seven 11 and like, you know, drinking at the ball game. Right. Um, and that's seen as a very cushy thing by regular Americans and both grounded and good kills show that it's not, it's not easy to go to work for half a day and then come home and act normal. Did you have other questions about the accuracy of the film? Like you, you mentioned that there were some questions that sort of lingered. So it was the same, it was the same thing as you. It's this video feed is so good and that's used as a plot point almost. Um, Here's a huge spoiler alert. Uh, You should probably, stop listening now if if you haven't seen the movie or if you care to see it uh but at the end of the film ethan hawk goes don't do it don't t- <laughs> don't do it, <laughs> no, do it. Oh, no. no chris hasn't seen the, the movie yet i haven't yeah. seen the movie but it's fine well i mean can i just say like a lot of the film centers around the drone pilots becoming acquainted with a particular set of characters on the ground Right, yeah, they Ethan are supposed Hawk to be basically watches the same dude do the same thing every day, and he doesn't like what he's doing. And at the end, Ethan Hawke like commandeers a drone by himself and like murders this man. Um, really? Yeah. So here's here's what here's what happens. Ethan Hawke. Wi- how? E- Ethan Hawke witnesses. Yeah. Ethan- no, but how? Isn't a drone is like is like a. I'm sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's don't drones have to be piloted by at least two people, especially yes. like a strike, because one person has to do the targeting and the, and the ordinance. I mean, again, the details are a little bit murky, but yeah, my understanding is, yeah, you need a lot of people to fly the drone. Throughout and, the film and 
like everything I've seen, there's at least three people in the trailer and many more on various like channels of communication, like radio, etc. But in this scene, basically Ethan Hawke watches a man rape a woman in like HD, like zoomed in, like watches this happen a couple times. And then to do his bit of good in the world, he goes and sees this man approaching the woman again. And he hops in the trailer by himself, flies the drone, murders this guy, and then, like, leaves. How does he murder the man without With, murdering the woman? So he sees her, well, he sees him walking towards, like, the spot, and she's, like, she's there. He's not there yet. How far away is the guy when he kills him? Does he kill him with a Hellfire missile? Because those things aren't, have proven not to be exact. So I guess there's a lot of questions here about, like, the accuracy and the, uh, the, the realistic quality of this movie, right? So I think it, yeah. I think it does, it does raise, it does make it hard Oh, oh, really? Oh. He hits her too. <laughs> oh, but, that's the big but, th- but then she kind of lives. She like moves at the I end. I can't and believe you're revealing this this uh, ending. <laughs> that's Jesus. a pretty good ending, actually. You think? I mean, it's it might not be. I don't. I don't think it would be easy to hijack a drone like that. But maybe I don't know. But that's kind of a night. I like how much of a downer that ending is. Yeah, it is a downer, and it, that's not to say. Th- my problem with it is that Ethan Hawke has had you know the chance to learn so much about this man and like he's seen him in hd for like weeks and months on end and he like gets to know him basically and from the drone pilots i spoke to they say they're flying in completely different places every single day like they'll fly for 12 hours one day in pakistan and the next day they'll be in afghanistan and the next day they'll be in like you know libya and or yemen and then back to square one, and they have no idea where they are in any given day. And that's obviously by design, because I don't think the Air Force wants them to know what's going on, or the CIA doesn't want them to know what's going on. And well, he very much does in, in this case. I thought if they were following a target, they spent many days with them now. Like, if, if they have to, like, determine if someone is actually enough of a bad guy to So that's what happens in Grounded, and... I've seen differing things about it. Um, th- that's what it was told to me by the Global Hawk pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suspect that there's like commanders who are, you know, with the same target day after day after day. But the people who are just pressing the buttons, I would think that they would want to mix that up as best as they can. Yeah. Another issue of accuracy Ethan Hawk, who used to be a fighter pilot flying F 16s talks about at one point in the movie landing on a carrier at night and how those glory days of being a Top Gun are over. But uh, what I don't think checks out is that you, if you're an Air Force pilot, you don't land on a carrier. That's a Navy pilot. So that was just like a little <laughs> like piece of accuracy. Ever? I'm pretty sure, yeah. If you're, if you're landing on a carrier, you're in the Navy. What was Top Gun? Were they in the Navy? Yeah, they were in the Navy, man. Oh, man. And in a lot of ways, I feel like this movie is echoing, you know, it's echoing Top Gun for this sort of new generation. Um, I don't know yeah, if it'll Top have... Top Gun wasn't a downer. Top Gun was nothing but good Jerry Bruckheimer times. I know, I know. We're in a, we're in a new era. And uh, I think also, you know, Andrew Nichol, who made Gattaca with Ethan Hawke also, um, is obsessed by these questions of what, what does technology do to humans and, um, and what do we do with the technology. And I, I don't think, you know, as in, yeah, as with Gattaca, like, you've got, 
a technology that has a lot of promise, genetic engineering. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's pretty much a dystopic film. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway here. Um, it's the first film that really tries to be accurate and cover those questions with regard to the drone war. And I don't know that it necessarily succeeds, but at least it's it's not so terribly off that it's worthless as a film and like endeavor. It's definitely, yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah. So uh, you should definitely see it if you haven't. Um, I hope you're not listening to this though if you haven't seen it because then you know how it ends <laughs> you could have fast forwarded i presume yeah yeah it's, it's certainly possible uh in any case we're gonna leave you here thank you very much for listening uh i am staff writer jason kebler and i'm here with alex pasternak see you later and chris o'coin bye-bye uh, you can subscribe to us on soundcloud at soundcloud.com motherboard and itunes Um, And please consider supporting Casper Mattresses. It's casper.com. Use code VICE for $50 off any order. We'll see you next week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.